Our final reading is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, the visit of the wise men. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they had offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. I always uh, really enjoy reading this account of this group of wise men uh, coming from the east to visit Jesus. And, uh, you know, it, it has many elements to the story. It has the excitement of a quest, doesn't it? We want a quest. We need to find something. It has the danger of a king who, even if you don't know anything else about, about him, you, you somehow feel that something is not right about Herod, and we'll see why in a minute. And then you see the ugliness of religious people who seem so cold towards the very religion that they claim to follow. I think this passage is, is very helpful to so this one in Matthew chapter 2. It is very helpful to us in helping us to analyze our own hearts. That's why scripture is given, isn't it? It's supposed to probe our hearts and speak into our hearts. And uh, this, is, this help, helps us as we think about our own relationship to this king who has come, Jesus Christ. What do you make of Jesus this evening? Who do you think he is? What does he mean to you? But around him we see in this story, we see three ways of looking at Jesus. And uh, I think looking at those things will help us uh, to understand ourselves a bit. bit. Maybe you fit into one of these categories. And I think this is how Matthew's record is supposed to work. As we read it, it probes our hearts. It helps us to analyze ourselves in the light of God's word and actually to lead us to Jesus Christ. So what are these three ways of looking at Jesus? Uh, Here's the first. 
to let your curiosity propel you to find out more. There's a way of looking at Jesus that stimulates your curiosity to find out more. That's what we see in these wise men. In verse 1, Matthew says they are wise men from the east. Uh, the word for wise men is, is magos. A wise man is a magos. And uh, you may have heard them referred to as the magi, as we say in English. Uh, and it's actually the word that's, that's behind the word magic. <laughs> magic. Well, that doesn't sound good, does it? Um, but, these were, but these were not Jews, of course. These were, nor were they even God-fearing Gentiles. They were magic men. They were... They're actually astrologers. They, they clearly observed the skies. And when they saw something interesting, they, they thought about it. And what does this mean? As people often do. And they came from the east, probably from Babylon. Uh, way out in the east. And clearly they have seen something that they thought was significant. Some star in the sky or possibly... Planets in the sky, which they describe as stars. You know, when you look in the, in the sky, planets look like big stars, don't they? And they clearly believed that something significant in the sky was happening, which indicated something significant was happening on Earth. Now, we're not, not, we're not told how they went from there to talking about the king of the Jews. How did they know about... A king of the Jews. Maybe it's, here's an idea. You remember Daniel in the Bible? He was one of the first exiles that went into, was taken away from Israel to Babylon. And uh, he was a great prophet, wasn't he? He wrote things down. And you could just imagine, perhaps, all the writings of Daniel beginning to be disseminated around the East and people thinking, what's this all about? What's this saying? And maybe it had lodged in the minds of these magi. So they've got things in the sky they're seeing. And they're thinking about things written down for them. That are ancient. Several hundred years before. And they, think, they try and put the two and two together. And they think, oh maybe there's a king. A king of the Jews. And they've joined the dots you see. And they've come up with an idea. And so they've got to move. They've got to find out what this is all about. And so they're, um, they think it's important enough to set out on a great quest to find this king of the Jews. And the pinnacle of the story is, of course, that they do find him. And when they find him, what do they do? They bow down and worship him. They worship him. So it's quite a journey for men who were pagans, non-believers. But they found Jesus, the king, and they worshipped him. Now these, that story tells us something, I think, fascinating about how God works. First thing you can say is that people can often be put onto the path of finding Jesus... Even though their initial reasoning is bogus. <laughs> you know, they're pagans, they're astrologers. There's all kinds of weirdness in there. But amazingly, in God's providence, 
He is able even to use those sins and those evils to bring people to Jesus. To put people on a track to Jesus. He can use a false religion. He can use a man-made philosophy or ideology. But through his providence, through one thing and another, God can bring people to Jesus. Now I'm not saying, don't, don't hear me say this, you can find God and Jesus in anywhere. You can't. Uh, in any religion, you can't. But God is not limited by man's religion. God can bring people out of those religions from darkness into light. And this is what he seems to do with these men. And he brings them to Jesus. God can find somebody like you and me and can bring us out of the darkness of our lives. Bring us to Jesus. Make us Christians. And give us new life. That's a wonderful thing about the grace of God. Here's another thing uh, about this story. Often those who seem furthest away from the king, those whom you least expect, are those who God deigns to lead to his son. We'll see this in a minute, but sometimes the religious people are not the people who are closest to God or, or find, find who God is, but it's actually people who are sometimes far, farthest away. Never give up hope. But people who are in all kinds of strange lifestyles and strange backgrounds never give up hope that God cannot reach to them and lead them and bring them to his son. This is what the wonderful thing is. Consider just how God has, seems to have intervened in the lives of these wise men. He has given them inquiring minds that are open uh, to ideas. Step by step, he seems to have led them to read the times and come to conclusions. And then in a remarkable, miraculous act, he seems to give them a, a sign in the sky that they can follow. And it, in a sense that it makes sense to them. An unmistakable star. And then consider just how obedient they were to, to what has been laid before them. They, were, they actually had a heart for the truth. Strangely, God had given them a heart for the truth. And a heart to do whatever it takes to get to the truth. Is there anybody here this evening who has that heart to get to the truth? Not just to give up easily. Think, oh well, maybe. See, I must have that truth. I'm willing to give up a whole load to get there. Think of these wise men, the journey they made. You're willing to give up a huge amount to get to Jesus? Is there anyone like that here this evening? Is there anyone here who's been stopped short of, uh, by a thought or an idea or an event that has made you consider for the first time, who is this Jesus? Who is he? I must find out. Is there anyone here who has a heart after the truth? Who's willing to move heaven and earth to get to that truth? To find out what's true about Jesus? Now you want to find out more. What I say to you this evening, if that's you, keep going, keep going. And when you find him, you'll never cease to keep learning from him and discovering more things about him. And so this is a lifelong journey for you. To discover more about Jesus. So that's the first way to look at Jesus. To let your curiosity propel you towards Jesus. But here's the second way. This is not a good way, by the way. There is cold indifference. 
to Jesus among some of the characters here. I think these wise men, they probably didn't really, they weren't quite sure what they were looking for. And as time went on, it became clear. And it, I guess it would be natural for them to assume that they were looking for a king. And so they need to go to a palace. And so they turn up at Herod's palace. And they ask, where's the king of the Jews? And so they get this audience and they ask the question. And they begin talking about this other king. We'll come to Herod in a moment. But just imagine his reaction at this moment. He's the king of the Jews, he thinks. And he is, actually. But these men start coming and talking about another king of the Jews. It's a bit troubling, isn't it? And it was indeed troubling. Herod therefore gathers his uh, religious leaders. And he asks them, what do they know about a new king that's going to come? What about this Christ that the Old Testament speaks of? Where's he going to be born? Where's he going to turn up? And as these priests and scribes come to Herod and they start talking amongst themselves, we see a cold indifference to what they're talking about. Have you noticed this? They're probably men who knew great chunks of the Bible by heart. Do you know great chunks of the Bible by heart? Maybe not. I don't. I know some bits of the Bible by heart. But these men probably knew great chunks of it. They could rattle it off. And they knew it well. They knew the contents well. And they were able to quote chapter and verse of where the Bible in the Old, the Old Testament talks about the birth of Christ. And it's a quotation from Micah chapter 5 verse 2. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. There you are. Pinpoint accuracy. There's the verse. What do they do once they've given that verse? Well, you know, they roll up their scroll and they pack up and go home. They're not that interested in finding out where he is. They've done enough. They're not interested. There's a cold indifference to the idea that the Christ has come. It's a curious thing, isn't it? But people can be so religious. And these men would have been at at worship, done all the right things, said all the right things, talked the right language. They've been there. They do it all. Everybody regards them as holy people. And yet in their heart of hearts, there's a cold indifference to the king who is coming. Don't you think they should have been at least a little bit curious? And given the fact that Bethlehem is only, I don't know, five miles away from Jerusalem, it's just up the road. Wouldn't they say, well, let's go together. Let's all go and see where where this king of the Jews has, has been born. Let's see him. Not a bit of it. Pack up and go home. The issue here in these priests and scribes is that they are religious men, well-schooled, knowledgeable, sophisticated. But they have hearts that are cold as stone towards God's king. Friends, there are people like that all over the world today. There are people like that all over Solihull. There are people who go to church like that, even in Solihull. And their hearts are cold 
to Jesus. When I was in my 20s, not long a Christian, uh, quite a long time ago, I knew a lady who has since died, a church-going lady. I had a conversation with her about what I had been discovering in the Bible, about the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for me, it was exciting. It was the most, it was like treasure. I discovered it all. I discovered this treasure when I became a Christian. I was trying to explain to this lady what I had found. And I think probably I was a bit annoying. (laughs) You know, young converts can be a bit annoying. And maybe I was a bit annoying. But she was annoyed. And she eventually said to me, look, I, I read my Bible when I was a child growing up. I read it every day and every week. And I know everything I need to know about this. But it was clear to me that her heart was hard, cold to Jesus Christ. This is a church-going lady. Coldness to Jesus. What about you this evening? Do you think you know enough about religion? It is possible, you see, to be very knowledgeable, but in the end, to miss the point of Christianity. That at the core of it is Jesus Christ the King. And if you have him, you have everything. And when you have him, you worship him. Not these men, though. Well, here's the... So we've seen an eager uh, compulsion to find Jesus. We've seen a cold indifference to Jesus. Lastly, outright hostility to Jesus. This is Herod. Herod is troubled. And Herod's a tyrant. You know, he's an absolute ruler. And when Herod is troubled... The whole city is troubled. Everybody's in a tizzy about it. What was going on here? Well, of course, Herod is a nasty piece of work. He's a ruthless tyrant. He, uh, he might have thought, there's already a king of the Jews. That's me. Um, and the thing about pride tyrants and dictators is, that when they, because they're at the peak of the pyramid, uh, there's always a danger that all the people down below will topple him. That's, that's always true of dictators. Look at history. You'll see this. When, when, when a dictator gets to the top, he's always in danger. And therefore, he has to rule with a rod of iron, with a ruthlessness. And you see this in Hitler, you see this in Stalin, Pol Pot, and all, the, all these main characters. Same with Herod. And he sees a threat now to his throne. And you see here, Outright hostility. But here's, here's the thing. It's very subtle. Uh, Herod doesn't show his true colors just yet. If you look, verses 7 and 8. Herod summoned the wise men and secretly ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you've found him, bring me word so that I too may go and worship him. He doesn't mean it. He doesn't mean it. He wants to know where Jesus is so you can go and kill him. You see this from later on. Because he's frustrated. The wise men don't come back, as you find out. They don't come back. They depart by another way, because they've had a dream. And in frustration, Herod then perpetrates infanticide, killing of all the babies under two years old in the whole region. Because one of them might just be the son, this new king. 
Thankfully, Joseph and Mary went down to Egypt and avoided that. That's another story, though. But that hostility of the heart can often hide itself in a, a feigned devotion, a false devotion. But that hostility doesn't stay secret for long. It always comes out somehow. This kind of hostility to Jesus the King is not unusual. I've been a Christian now for 40 years. And in that time, people have, you know, our culture's generally moved. That's one of the things of being old, relatively old. As you can look back and just see how things have changed. And there was a time when Christianity was seen as a, as a moral good for society. But then it moved in the 1990s into a period of largely kind of neutrality and indifference to the Christian church. Now, we're moving into a phase where increasingly we live in a society that's hostile to the teachings of, the God, of Jesus Christ. And that hostility is going to come to us. We will see friends and neighbors who are hostile uh, to Jesus and the, and the gospel message of salvation, we will see it in the corridors of power. We see rumblings of it even today. And maybe you're here this evening and you've seen something new about Jesus Christ, but in your heart of hearts, there's a hostility rising up against him. I wonder if that's you this evening. You enjoy the carols maybe, and that's why you're here, but actually you don't really want Jesus. There's a hostility there. So you see how this passage can help us analyze our own hearts. We see eager seeking of the wise men. We see the cold indifference of the scribes and Pharisees. And then there's outright hostility we see from Herod the tyrant. Let me just finish by looking at the joy of finding Jesus. Back to the wise men again. We're on a journey. Not just on a a journey geographically, but a journey spiritually. Notice the progress they make. They start in their pagan religion, but God guides them towards Jesus. They come before Herod, and through the priests and scribes, they hear what is written in the scriptures. They'd never heard those scriptures before, but now they hear the scriptures. God seems to order things so that they get to hear the word of God. At the right moment. And then in verse 11, they find the child with Mary and they fall down and worship. And they offer those famous gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Very expensive and certainly altogether worthy of a king. Pagan curiosity to hearing the word of God, to bowing down in worship before Jesus. What a marvelous picture! Of the grace of God at work in people's lives. What a picture of joy that gladdens the heart as we see it. No wonder they discovered this ruler. uh, That this Jesus was to be the ruler born in humble conditions in a little country. In a little town in a little shed. Yet he was to be the loving shepherd of his people. That's what you discover when you come to Christ. One who is... All-powerful and mighty, yet tender in his care for all those who belong to his flock. 
He is indeed the majestic and wonderful King and Saviour. Have you received him like the Magi? Or is there something of the cold sophistication of the knowledgeable religious types in you? Or is there some hostility within you about your response, which fights inwardly, yet feigns devotion? I hope you find joy in the Lord. I, uh, just last week I, had to, uh, I was asked to write a, an article uh, for the Birmingham Mail, which comes out next week. Uh, and I, I was last to write my article. Uh, and there were several others. And uh, I got to read the other articles before they're published. And uh, I read, and it's all about, you know, what's the message of Christmas? And curiously, somebody from the Baha'i faith, I'm not quite sure what that is, to be honest. Um, somebody from the Baha'i faith, what I can gather is, it was, he was writing about uh, the coming of Jesus, but what, what he moved on to talk about was a system of the oneness of humanity and all, you know, no racism, no sexism, no, none of this, no discrimination of any kind, all love and wonderfulness. And uh, I remember thinking last week, we don't present a religion that offers oneness and niceness and all that kind of stuff, fluffy stuff. We offer a saviour, Jesus Christ. Everything else flows from him. Yes, there's peace. Yes, there's joy. Yes, there's good living. But if you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. John says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's that simple. Have you, had, have you Jesus? Have you come to him? Are you the wise amongst the wise who have sought him out? Let's pray. Father, We thank you for your wonderful word. We thank you for this great story. And we rejoice in it. We pray you'd help us to to receive Jesus as our king. In his name we pray. Amen.